Exodus chapter 2. Exodus 2. I thought it would be kind of fun to teach from the throne, but I didn't know how that would go over. So. What's that? <laughs> Exodus 2. Let's do the smart thing and have a word of prayer here. Heavenly Father, thankful to come together and just to uh, celebrate what you did at VBS and also just to celebrate you, Lord. I just pray, as always, you would teach, we would listen to what you have to say through your word. Thank you for all those kids that came out. Thank you for all the help. And as always, Lord, we just give you our nation. We pray for godly wisdom and direction. We give you our men and women serving in the field. Keep them safe. Bring them home safe. And lift this up in your name. Amen. Uh, you know, every week we pray uh, for our servicemen and women. And uh, one of the things I wanted to mention, I saw uh, Zach. Zach, hey, Zach, why don't you stand up so we can give you a round of applause there. Zach serving. Thank you. Zach, you, uh, you went into basic, how long ago was that now? Uh, April, 11th. April 11th. So how long are you home for? Uh, I leave after church. Well, well, good for you. Well, it's nice to have you back, and thank you for what you do. So thank you. So uh, Exodus chapter 2 here. Now we're going to do a uh, topical study on, on Moses. It worked out good. We finished up our study last week in 1 Timothy. And uh, we had to usually like to do a little topical message on whatever the theme was for VBS. And this theme this year is Moses. That's what we're going to talk about. Now most everything we know about Moses, let's just be honest, either comes from flannel boards from when we were kids in Sunday school or from Charlton Heston with the Ten Commandments. You know, it would be nice to kind of see what the Bible has to say about Moses. Moses is the central character in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And his shadow, even after his death, is, goes through an entire book of Joshua. You know, uh, most church scholars believe that Moses is the one that wrote the first five books of the Old Testament. And from a Jewish perspective, in the Old Testament, Moses is probably the chief character or right up there with King David on the importance of his life. Now, one of the interesting things about Moses is we know most of the stuff about Moses. We know about the ten plagues. We know about him being a baby in the river. We know about the parting of the Red Sea. We know about all these things. interesting thing about the Bible is, and a lot of times people come up to me and say, how do you know the Bible is real? And I say, well, one of the reasons I think the Bible is real is whatever other religious book in the world so aptly speaks about what their characters did wrong. If you read other religious books, they never mention what the people did wrong. With Moses today, we know all about his successes, leading millions of people out through the Exodus. But let's also talk about where he failed. Now, we're not saying this to pick on him. We say this because this is the way God set up the system. In 1 Corinthians 10, Paul wrote that the Lord has given us these examples to be a warning to us, to say, hey, I've included the successes and failures of these people from the Old Testament, so that way as you live your life, you can learn from what they did right, but you can also learn from what they did wrong. And with Moses, there's a lot that he did right, but with Moses, there's also a lot of struggles that he had. We can relate to Moses. We may not have parted the Red Sea, we may have not have led millions throughout of slavery, but his failures, yeah, we can relate to that. And a lot of the things that you see Moses struggled with, we struggle with today. Now, with any of these messages, it's always important to note that at the end, we see the full grace of God. So we will talk about his struggles. We'll talk about how we can learn from them. But at the end, you get the important picture of God's grace in Moses' life, just as God's grace in our life, too. So with that being said, Exodus chapter 2. Now, a little bit of background here on Moses. You probably remember this from Sunday school, what have you. Moses was born an uh, Israelite. He was a slave in Egypt. His parents were slaves. And what happened was the Israelites were reproducing so quickly through God's blessing and hand that the Egyptians said, we need to start killing these young Jewish babies so that way they don't overtake us. So what happened was the rule was all Jewish kids were supposed to be put to death, the Jewish males. Well, Moses is born, 
And they hid him for a while, but just like with any baby, you reach a point where you just can't hide him anymore. And so the mom said, we have to get rid of him, but we have to do this in a safe manner. So they made this basket, stuck him in the river, and they sent him out there in faith. The book of Hebrews says that the parents did this in faith, trusting that the Lord was going to take care of this. Well, once you know it, the person, through God's hand and providence, the person that found baby Moses was who? Pharaoh's daughter. And so Moses was drawn out of the water. That's what his name literally means, is drawn out. So Moses, through God's hand, was protected, was then raised by Pharaoh's daughter, raised to the point for the first 40 years of his life, raised in royalty, and raised to be in the lineage of Pharaoh. Now, isn't that amazing? Here's this guy that's Jewish, born a slave. Next thing you know, he's raised by Pharaoh's daughter, he's raised in royalty, and he's raised in the lineage of Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world at that time. But Moses, right around 40 years old, through God's hand, starts to realize what's going on. And Moses had this burning desire inside of him that he could not see his brethren anymore, the Jews, be under this slavery, this bondage. So that's where we pick it up now. In Exodus chapter 2, verse 11, it says, Now it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown, verse 11 of Exodus 2, that he went out to his brethren and looked at their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. He looked this way and that way, and when he saw no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. When he went out the second day, behold, two Hebrew men who were fighting, and they said to the one who did the wrong, Why are you striking your companion? Then he said, Who made you a prince and king over us? Do you intend to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? So Moses feared and said, Surely this thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of this matter, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian. Now let's just stop there for a second. Have you ever had something in your life that you thought maybe the Lord was leading you to do or guiding you to do, except he wasn't moving quick enough? So you forced God to pick up the pace? You forced God's will? You sped up the process. You did your own thing. That's what Moses did. Yeah, he had this burden for the Jews. He felt the Lord was leading him to be the Savior, and I don't mean that for their sins, but the Savior to lead them out of slavery. But he just did it on his own way. Now, how many times in life do we get ourselves in trouble when we try to do things on our own way? Once again, God's not moving quick enough. His process isn't moving quick enough for us, so we try to speed it up and we force our hand, his hand. Well, that leads to problems. Quick verse. You don't have to turn there. It's out of James 4. It says, Come now you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we shall do live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Don and I have a prayer that we pray a lot. If we're seeking the Lord on wisdom or guidance on something, we don't know for sure where he's leading. We'll pray and we say, Lord, this is where we feel like we're going. We ask for your hand on it. But we also simply pray, Lord, we're vapors. That's all. We're vapors. We don't know what to do. You have to guide and direct us. The problem is, some of us as Christians, well, we think we got a pretty good way. We don't think we're vapors. We're going to do what Moses did. We see something that needs to be done, we're just going to do it. Now, I don't know what Moses' plan was. Is he going to take out a million Egyptians one by one? Just go around and smack them in the head and kill each one? Was he then going to bury every single body in the sand? He wasn't thinking. This is what happens when you do things in your own flesh and your own wisdom. You run into problems. Rather than stopping and seeing where the Lord was leading him to lead them out of slavery, he is just going to do it on his own. We need to step back not force God's will, not speed up the process, but trust that God has the right time frame of what he's supposed to do. And Moses knew it was wrong. You know how he knew it was wrong? He hid the body. There's not too many things in life other than surprise birthday presents that you hide. If you're hiding something, you're usually hiding it. Why? Because you know it's something wrong. I've shared this with you before in many messages. If any one of our kids go behind the couch, we know that they're doing something wrong. There's no reason to be behind the couch. You're hiding from us. There's something you don't want us to see you doing. 
Well, same thing happened here spiritually. He was hiding the body because he knew it was wrong. This has been said by numerous pastors in numerous ways. In verse 12 of Exodus 2, it says that Moses looked this way and he looked that way, but no, Moses never looked up. He looked to the left, he looked to the right, but he never looked up. How many times do we do that in life? Okay, Lord, I've looked to the left, it looks like this is a good plan. I looked to the right, this looks like it's a good plan. I'm just going forward in it. God says, you never checked with me, look up. Don't look to the left, don't look to the right, look up. Seek me, seek what I want you to do. When we forget to look up to check things over with God, we run ourselves into problems. What is the result of Moses' action here? Fear. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 1.7 that God has not given us a spirit of fear. So anytime you're living in fear, you know you're not living in God's will and plan. And what did he do when he was in fear? He fled. This is what happens when you don't live your life according to God's plan. You live in fear and you flee. And then you hide things because you know it's not right. Here's the thing about hiding. And I don't try to share these verses to scare you, but these are fact verses. Numbers 32 says your sin will find you out. And it says in the book of Mark chapter 4, there is nothing that is hidden that will not be revealed. Now think about that for a second. How many times have you tried to hide something? Hide those thoughts that you hope no one ever sees or hears? Hide those words, those actions, that anger, that resentment, that bitterness, that lust, that sin, whatever it is. You spend your life hiding things in the sand. You look to the left, you look to the right to make sure no one sees you. You hide it in the sand and you say, good, I'm done, I'm covered. But we never look up. God says those things that are hidden will be revealed. Those sins that we're trying to cover up will be taken care of. It will be brought to light. We need to take them to Christ and let him take care of it. So that's the first thing you see in Moses' life. He forces God's will. He tries to speed up the process. He tries to do his own thing, and it leads to fear and problems. Well, fast forward now 40 years in his life. Turn to Exodus 4. In Exodus 4, God now comes back to Moses and said, Moses, it's time. Now Moses is a man close to 80 years old. So now it's time. Exodus 3, you have this great story, the burning bush. That's how God gets Moses' attention, is the burning bush to get his attention to say, it's time. Well, in Exodus 4, you have this great conversation between Moses and God, where God is now telling Moses, go. Now it's time. You don't have to kill Egyptians one by one and hide their bodies in the sand. You've fled. You've lived in fear for four decades now. Go back and do it my way, the right way, in God's will. Well, guess what? That fire that Moses had in Exodus 2, it's now burned off. He doesn't want to go back. Exodus 4, verse 1. Moses answered and said, But suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say, The Lord has not appeared to you. Isn't this fascinating? A few decades earlier, we had a guy that was going to kill every Egyptian one by one, hide their bodies in the sand, and flee Israel. Now, 40 years later, he doesn't want to do it. How many of us are that type of person now? I don't want to do it, Lord. Well, suppose they do this or that. Lord, suppose we start up that Bible study at church and no one comes. Suppose I go talk to that person about Christ and they don't listen to me. Suppose I, I sit down with that couple about marriage counseling and it doesn't go good and next thing you know it falls apart. Suppose this, suppose that. We live our lives in these fears and worries that have never even happened yet, but we've so convinced ourselves it's not going to work, we live ourselves in fear. Well, that's what Moses was doing. Moses was living his life in what ifs. But what if this happens? Suppose this happens. What about this? So what does God do in verse 2? The Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? He said, a rod. Well, you can look at the verses here. What God says, he says, cast it on the ground. So the cast it on the ground, the rod becomes a serpent. And he says, pick it back up again. And then becomes a staff again. He says, stick your hand in your cloak, pull it back out. And his hand's leprous. And he says, stick it back in and pull it back out. And God basically says, 
I'm the power that you need. Now listen to this. If God is guiding you and leading you, he will give you the power to do it. Don't sit there like Moses and say, well, what if this, what about this, suppose this happens. If God is leading you and guiding you, he will give you the power to do it. Zechariah 4, 6 says, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. You don't have to do it. See, the problem is we do the suppose things. We feel it's our burden. It's my burden to make sure my grandkids are walking with the Lord. It's my burden to make sure my kids do everything that's right. It's my burden to make sure that work goes smoothly. It's my burden to fix this marriage. It's my burden to make this person do that. No, it's not. God gives you the power to do it. If he is guiding you and leading you, he will give you the power to do it. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. The problem is we try to do it on our own. When you try to do it on your own like Moses did, you run into fear, you run into failure, you run into problems. God now is saying, Moses, I'm the power behind what you're doing. And I don't know what you're facing today, but I know God gives you the strength to do it. So God comes back now and says, I'll give you the power to do it. I'll jump ahead to verse 10. Well, then Moses said to the Lord, Oh, Lord, my Lord, I'm not eloquent, neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. Moses says, Okay, you, okay, you can do the miracles. He goes, but, but I can't talk. Wow. What, what limitations do you put on yourself? Isn't that interesting? I can't, Lord. The I can'ts. Well, I can't lead up that ministry because I, I can't do this. I can't go talk to that person because of this. I can't fix this problem because of this. There's a lot of eyes in that statement. And when you start thinking that you have to do it, you're right, you can't do it. God's the power behind what you do. If you start thinking that it's you, if you start thinking that you have to do it, you're right. You're not capable of doing it. Look at God's great response here in verse 10. Then Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent, neither in before nor since. You have spoken to your servant, but I'm slow of speech and slow of tongue. So the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind? Have I not the Lord? Now therefore go when I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall say. Now, I'm not picking on anybody when I say this, but this pops up sometimes. I have somebody call me up and say, hey, I got a cousin, friend, uncle, whatever, fill in the blank, that really wants to know about the Lord. Can you go talk to them? Now, I'll talk to anybody about Christ. I don't have a problem doing that. But I always tell them, you know what? It'd be better if you spoke to them. I don't know them. I'm just the hired gun that comes in to tell them about Christ. That doesn't work real well. You have the relationship. You have that, that connection. You talk to them. And you know what they normally say? Well, I don't know what to say. Now, look at here. If you're the type of person that you don't say anything about the Lord or you don't make a stand for your faith because you don't know what to say, you need to take verse 12, write it down, stick it on your fridge. Look at verse 12. Now, therefore, go and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall say. God says, I'm the words in your mouth. If you sit there worrying about what am I going to say, you're thinking about you. You're thinking about me. What am I going to do? I have to carry this load and burden. No, you don't. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Bible says that it's not by your power, but it's by the power of God. It's not going to be your words, but God's words. Now, you have a responsibility to be prayed up. You have a responsibility to get into the Word, to know and understand and put that effort into it. But when push comes to shove, it's going to be the Spirit leading through you and guiding and directing you. So God is trying to tell Moses here, it's me. My power directs you. My words direct you. I take care of this. You have nothing to worry about. Now, look at Moses' response. Verse 13, but he said, Oh, my Lord, Please send by the hand of whomever else you may send. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, Is not Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well. And look, he is also coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. Now note, God is patient with Moses with, Well, what about this and what about that? God's patient. God is patient with Moses when Moses says, I can't talk. God's patient. When did God lose his patience with Moses? When Moses just came out and said right there in verse 13, Not me. 
send somebody else. Why did God get frustrated with Moses? Because it's a faith trust issue. God says, I will give you the miracles and the power. I'll give you the words to say. And basically what Moses is saying there in verse 13 is, Lord, I don't trust you enough to take care of this. I have to do it myself. And since I don't feel capable of doing it myself, I'm not going to do it. How many times have you been like that? How many times have I been like that? We don't trust that the Lord is going to do it. We don't trust that he's going to give us the words. We don't trust he's going to give us the power. So therefore, it's all on our shoulders. Lord, send somebody else. I can't do it. Wait a second. If God has promised you the power in the words, don't you think that he can do it? If he can do it, we need to trust that he can do it. Two quick verses here, and you can take these down and look at them later if you want. First one is Philippians 1.6. Philippians 1.6. It says, he who has begun a good work in you will complete it. Think about that. If God has started a work in you, he will give you the strength, the words, the power, and the ability to do it. You don't have to carry that burden on your shoulders. There is no marriage you have to fix. There's no kid you have to save. There is nobody you have to lead to the Lord. God does it all. He just uses you as the instrument to do it. Next thing, Philippians 3, 12 through 14. Philippians 3, 12 through 14. If we're a work in progress, Paul came out and said, he goes, I put my past behind me and I move forward towards the goal of Christ. See, Moses had a past. He was killing Egyptians and burying them in the sand. Then he fled. What's your past? God says, let's put the past behind you, be saved and forgiven in Christ Jesus, and then move forward. Problem is there's some people here today that you can't get past the past. You can't move past what's happened. Either what somebody has done to wrong you or what you have done to wrong somebody. And so you live in this past idea of failure and resentment and bitterness and anger, and God says you've got to move forward past that in Christ. And when you move forward past that, you can finally be who God has called you to be. Moses had to move past the past. God says, I'm your power, I'm your words, you can go do it. When Moses said, no, not me, send somebody else, that's when God got angry because what he was really saying was, I don't trust you enough to work in my life. Now, how many of us are saying that really? Lord, we don't trust you to move in my life. Yeah, you heal other people's lives and marriages and problems, but not mine. Lord, you lead other people to the Lord through people, but you can't use me. No, we trust that God moves and works, and just as in Moses' life, that was a life of fear and failure for a while, now through the next 40 years, God uses him. Let's go to our last point here about Moses. Turn, if you will, to uh, Numbers chapter 20. We're skipping ahead a little bit because Moses does pretty good here for a while. Goes to Egypt, does the plagues, parts the Red Sea. He's doing pretty good. But the problem is he's dealing with all these people. And finally what you have in Numbers 20 is almost this culmination of the proverbial straw that broke the camel's back. Moses leads these millions of people out of slavery, and all they do is whine and complain for decades. And we have moments of where Moses loses his temper. In Exodus 17, he basically says, I'm not dealing with you guys anymore. Exodus 32, when he brings down the Ten Commandments for the first time, the Bible says Moses was so angry at the people, he took the hand written by God, Ten Commandments, and threw them to the ground and broke them into pieces out of anger. Moses had a little bit of a temper. Well, now in Numbers chapter 20, kind of all comes to a head. Kind of comes to a head here. Look at verse 1 of Numbers 20. And then the children of Israel, the whole congregation, came to the wilderness of Zin in the first month, and the people stayed in Kadesh, and Miriam died there and was buried there. Now there was no water for the congregation, so they gathered together against Moses and Aaron. And the people contended with Moses and spoke, saying, If only we had died when our brethren died before the Lord. Why have you brought us up the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness, that we and all our animals should die here? And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? Is it not a place of grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, nor is there any water to drink? I've got to be honest with you. Personalities that's hard for me to deal with are the whiny, emotional people of life. 
Nothing's ever good or right. For 40 years, Moses have dealt with these people that said, we should just go back to Egypt. Egypt. They were slaves. Why would you want to go back into slavery? Moses had to constantly deal with, we don't have any water. We don't have any food. We don't have this. It was better in Egypt. Why are we doing this? And this constant whiny emotion. That's difficult. Do you know people like that? My goodness, everything is just negative and whiny and a problem. You go up to them, how was work today? Work was as good as it can be with the job I have. They're just always negative and problem. I call it Eeyore Christianity. They're just never happy. Moses reaches a point of frustration with them. Now he does the smart thing, verse 6. Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the door of the tabernacle of meeting, and they fell on their faces, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. They go to God. Now, that's a great point for us today. If you have somebody in your life that's just constantly bringing you down and it's difficult for you to deal with, the best thing you can do is go to the Lord. And that person may be your kids. That person may be your spouse, your coworkers. I don't know. You need to go to the Lord and say, Lord, grant me patience here. Grant me love. Grant me gentleness. Well, what happens now? Verse 7, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the rod, you and your brother Aaron, together. Gather the congregation together. Speak to the rock before the rise, and it will yield its water. Lest you shall bring water for them out of the rock, and give drink to their congregation and their animals. Now we have to stop here for a second and backtrack just a little bit. Because this has happened once before. Israel needed water, so God said to Moses, Go to the rock, take your staff, hit the rock, and the water came out. And you can see the picture right up there that was drawn of that same picture. That idea of hitting the rock and the water flowed. Now that happened earlier. This is the second time. Now, that's a great symbolism. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10 that that rock was a picture of Christ. So therefore, by Moses striking the rock, it's a picture of Jesus being killed on the cross. And the water that flowed out of the rock is a picture of the waters of salvation that flow out from the cross of Christ. And so that we're born again and saved and refreshed by salvation. So hit the rock, picture of Christ dying on the cross, the waters come out, the waters of salvation come out. It's a beautiful analogy and picture. Well now, second time around, God tells Moses, speak to the rock. Now why do you speak to it? Because we don't have to have Jesus crawl up on the cross every time we sin. We just need to speak, Lord, I'm sorry, forgive me, and we're forgiven. It's a beautiful picture. If Moses goes and hits the rock, it makes it look like every time you and I sin, Jesus has to crawl back up on the cross and die for our sins again. He doesn't need to do that. The Bible says it is finished. So it's a great symbolism. So speak to the rock, the water comes out. We speak to Christ, we have salvation. Well, verse 9, Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him, and Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Here now, you rebels! Must we bring water for you out of this rock? Then Moses lifted his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod, and water came out abundantly, and the congregation of their animals drank. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe me to hallow me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you should not bring this assembly into the land which I had given them. Moses screwed up big time. He did three things wrong right there. First thing first, verse 10, Hear now, you rebels. Now, did God say that? No, go back to what God said in verse 8. Very calm, cool, collect. God's not angry. What did Moses do in verse 10? He spoke out of emotion. That's not God speaking in verse 10. That's Moses speaking. Hear now, you rebels. Moses is tired. Forty years he's been dealing with these people. He had enough. Now, has that ever happened to you? I have put up with this for so many years, I'm not going to take it anymore. You have your little rock moment. You're done. Here now, you rebels. The Bible says in Psalm 106, Psalm 106, verses 32 through 33, that Moses spoke rashly. He let emotions guide and direct him instead of the Lord. When we did our study through Proverbs last year, what did we stress? 
Wisdom is knowing what to say, how to say it, when to say it, and if even to say it at all. How many times as Christians do we get ourselves in trouble by our mouths? We say something at home, say something at work, to our spouse, to our kids, to our co-workers, and we say, I shouldn't have said that. As a Christian, I should watch what I say. Moses spoke rashly. That was wrong. He let emotion get the best of him. Number two, what else did Moses do wrong here? Look at the second part of verse 10. Must we bring water for you out of this rock? Now hold on a second, Moses. Moses didn't do anything to bring water out of the rock. That was all God. But yet here's Moses. Must we? No. See, Moses misrepresented God. This happens a lot in Christianity today. People misrepresent God. They make God out to be the angry man that lives upstairs. Now don't get me wrong. There's a lot of sin, and God hates sin. There's a righteous anger and a righteous judgment for sin. I want to make that clear. But in 1 John, when God decided to describe himself, he described himself as love. Moses is misrepresenting God here. God was not angry in verse 8. God was not mad in verse 8, but yet Moses, hear now, you rebels, and must we. Now, how many of you do that? You throw it all on your shoulders. You're the only one that can take care of the problems. You're the only one that can fix your family. You're the only one that can lead them to salvation. You're the only one that can lead up that ministry. You're the only one. So you must we. So you throw all these burdens and weights on your shoulder because it's you. No, it's God working through you. You don't have to throw those burdens on your shoulders. And that's what Moses did. Must we bring water out of this rock? Then once again, we have the emotion. He misrepresented God in the we. And lastly, remember, he struck the rock twice. The rock didn't need to be hit again. Jesus has already died for our sins. And so therefore... We don't have to strike the rock. We don't have to have Christ die again. We speak to the rock, and we have salvation through Jesus. This was a big enough deal that God said, Moses, you're out. Verse 12, you're out. Do you realize how big of a deal that is? Moses has led this nation for decades. This was huge, bringing them out of slavery, the promised land. This was big. This is, this is his life's work, so close, and now it's pulled away from him. Now, God, in Deuteronomy 34, before Moses dies, he lets Moses go up on a high mountain, and he shows him all the promised land. He says, you can't go in. Your sin, your sin as a leader, your sin as a man, kept you from doing what God wants. Now, it's a nice segue into what our verse was for VBS this week, because our verse from VBS talked about this idea of obedience. Isaiah 119, that was the verse for VBS. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. One more time. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. Moses wasn't obedient. He didn't get to go into the promised land. He missed out because of his sin. Now, grace is coming, so don't forget that point. But how many times in life have we missed out on the goodness of God because of our flesh? We jumped into things we shouldn't have, so therefore we suffer consequences. We say things we shouldn't have, we suffer consequences. We do things we shouldn't have, we suffer consequences. The Bible says if you're willing and obedient, you'll be blessed. One of the points that kept coming on the teaching this week is obedience brings blessings. When you obey God, you're blessed. You stay in his will. You listen to what he has to say. Moses allowed his flesh to get the best of him. At first, he tried to speed up God's will and process, then fled in fear. Next, he didn't want to do it. God got angry because he said, now Moses, go. Moses wouldn't go. And lastly, Moses spoke out of emotion, misrepresented God, threw it all on his shoulders. God says, Moses, we can't do this anymore. If you're willing and obedient, you shall eat of the good of the land. Isn't that true in life? I know one thing that we do at our house is uh, Friday. It's usually a family day. I try to take off with my family. So Thursday night, kind of excited. The boys are looking forward to Friday. What are we going to do as a family? So we do something on Thursday called Candy Night Movie Night. Where the boys get to go pick out candy, and they get to stay up and watch a movie. Well... They were doing that. This has been a few weeks ago. They were having candy night movie night, and uh, they were being pretty rambunctious with everything that was going on. So I went into the room and said, guys, you need to settle down. I said, okay, 
so rambunctious, go back a little bit later, and one of my phrases at home is, okay, guys, no more grace. So I'm not a good example of the Lord sometimes because I cut grace off. <laughs> you know, I say, no more grace. If you do something wrong again, no more grace. Well, they were loud and rambunctious. I went in, took the candy away, and shut down the movie. I don't, somebody did, oh, come on. Yeah, I know. They weren't willing and obedient. They didn't get to eat of the fruit of the land. So took the candy away, and I think Dawn ended up eating the candy. I don't know. It's... Point is, they weren't willing and obedient, so therefore they didn't get the blessing. Now, that's just a little thing in life. Same thing happened to Moses. He wasn't willing and obedient, so therefore God took that away from him. You cannot stress this enough. What Moses went through, that, that had to be heartbreaking. That had to be crushing. And that's given as an example to us to say, don't. Don't allow the flesh and your emotion and what you think to control you, because if you allow those things to control you, you will miss out on what God wants for you. And what God wants for you is what's best. You either believe that or don't. I just got done teaching on Wednesday night in 2 Corinthians. The message was about God is enough. You have to trust that what God thinks is best is what's best. And there's all these, we look at rules and regulations. No. Those are safety measures that God has put up to keep us safe in Him. And so therefore, when we're willing and obedient, the blessing comes. If you live your life in the flesh like Moses did, you'll run into problems. It's not worth it. But if we'd end the message here, kind of a sad message. You have this picture of Moses standing on the mountain, seeing the promised land. Look, but don't touch. You would almost think, wow, what a mean God. But you know what? Moses got to go to the promised land. You don't need to turn there. But in Matthew 17, Jesus took Peter, James, and John up to the mountain. And the Bible says he was transfigured, which means that Jesus allowed his glory to come out. And they showed Peter, James, and John that he was truly God, the Messiah. And the Bible says he shone. And as God, Jesus was in his glory of God, who appeared with him? Elijah and who? Moses. Moses got to go to the promised land. Not the way he wanted, not when he wanted. He still got to go to the promised land. And how did Moses get to the promised land? Through Christ. Moses didn't get to go to the promised land until he was with Jesus. See, isn't that the truth of today? You may have had Moses moments in your life. You've jumped God's will, hopefully not literally, but you're killing Egyptians and hiding them in the sand. You're fleeing from God. You're fleeing in fear. You're not listening to what he has to say. And next thing you know, you're going through all these things. And next, your words are getting you in trouble. You're acting rashly, emotionally. You're throwing things on your shoulder. You've had those Moses moments. Isn't it nice to know that you can still go to the promised land through Christ Jesus? That he can forgive you. That he can make all things right. Moses got to go to the promised land, but it was through Christ. And that's the point that we try to get to these kids this week. Because you know what? All that matters is Jesus. They had a great picture, and you saw it in the video. We had to take some of the decorations down because we didn't have room for all the chairs here. But over to the left, over my left, they had the uh, picture of a doorpost, and they were talking about Passover. And they put the blood on the doorpost to show how on the tenth plague, the angel passed over the Jews and kept them safe because they had blood on their doorpost, and that blood's a picture of Christ. And I remember Rich put up the cross with blood on the cross, and he says the same thing happens to you today. The blood of Jesus what covers you. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Moses had great successes. He also had a lot of failure. But it was through Christ he got to the promised land. And I don't know what place you're in life right now. You may have had a lot of failures right now. The Bible says that today is the day of salvation. Isn't that a beautiful picture? You can be set free. You can be that fear can be gone when you stop and you submit and you give your life over to Jesus Christ. What a beautiful picture that is. The Bible says he's the only mediator between man and God. Think about this. There is a heaven there is a hell. That's not up for debate. So you're going to spend all of eternity either in hell or heaven. The only way to heaven is through Christ. He bridges the gap. He died on the cross for your sins. And so when the Bible says you confess Christ, 
Confession means you agree with. I agree that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins, and I agree with who he is that he has got, and I agree with what the Bible says about him. Have you confessed Christ today? Do you believe that that is true? Because that is all that matters in life. We can sit here and we can talk about VBS, look at the fun songs, and look at all the stuff the kid did, kids did, and that's a great week. The truth of the matter is you're going to go home today. You're going to go eat lunch, go to work. You're going to go do something. You're going to do a lot of mundane things. Well, for a brief second here, just think about eternity and ponder this for a second. Do you really understand what it means to die and go to heaven or go to hell? Christ is the one that gets you into the promised land of heaven. It's only through his death. You can't take care of your sin problem on your own. Moses tried to take care of stuff on his own. He can't do it. It's through Christ and Christ alone. So I will ask you today just to stop and ponder this. Do you want that? If you want that relationship with Jesus Christ, the only thing you need to do is go and say, Lord, I do confess this. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe that my sins have to be dealt with, and it's only dealt with through your blood, through what you did. He's the only one that can pay the price. You owe a debt of penalty of sin that can only be paid through Jesus. You can't do it on your own. If you think you're a good enough person, good works don't get you there, guys. It's through Christ, because your good works, my good works, are never enough. The Bible says our good works are actually filthy rags. God is so holy and perfect, we're so sinful. It's only through Christ, sinless perfection, that we can make it. If you want that, you just have to believe it. If you're interested in that, come grab me afterwards. We can get a Bible in your hand. We'd love to get a chance to talk to you about that. That's the beauty and the simplicity of Jesus Christ. So, Tim and Kelly, if you to come forward here for the final song. Got you out a little bit late today, but thank you for your patience today.